This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm your host, Melissa Rao, and this podcast is a conversation on the Four Faith weekly devotional sent out every Friday. You can find a link to this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe to Four Faith in this episode's description. Bishop, this week's devotion is titled Love and Hate. You're answering a series of folks' questions throughout Lent, and so I'm wondering if you can share what question you're responding to. Yeah, we were overwhelmed by questions uh, that came to us in the form of, how do I love like Jesus when my neighbor is unlovable? Uh, And so, I mean, uh, you know, obviously, as we look around our world, look on social media, we realize that division has been weaponized, partisanship, um, you know, it's just, it's all around us. You know, we're sort of honing ourselves or being honed into sort of... uh, uh, armed tribes. And, uh, and so, you know, when we look to the gospels, uh, we see Jesus has a, has another thought. Uh, we, we see that Jesus has an idea about including, uh, all kinds of people into the beloved community, into, you know, broad expressions of neighborliness. So I was looking forward actually to answering this question, uh, perhaps to sort of get in front of people again, what it means, the difference of what it means to be baptized in a world so full of division. Mm. Well, one of my favorite lines in your devotion is life and relationships are so hard because the love we've been taught and practice is fearful, thin, and fragile. And I'm reminded of that great theologian, George Lucas, (laughs) and I'm convinced as I'm sure George Lucas is convinced that the opposite of love isn't necessarily hate, but rather fear. Like, doesn't hate not stem out of something of which we're afraid? And so I'm curious what you think is at the root of our fear. At the root of our fear, yeah. Um, I mean, at the root of our fear is there's not enough, um, that I'm not enough, um, that I should be ashamed, uh, that I'm not worthwhile. And so, and so to help me mitigate these very deep-seated things and uh, us as individuals and even groups, it's easy to sort of point uh, all of that at somebody else, externalize, you know, those fears, those fears become weaponized and they become hatred. Um, it can be really active or it can be very subtle. Uh, it can be conscious and it can be unconscious. A lot of it is unconscious. And so it is easy to hate, actually. Mm. It's difficult to love. Uh, you know, when we hate, we sort of have a, a contract. One for one equals two, right? I hate you and I'm satisfied in my hatred of you. Uh, it gives me a very superficial answer about what's going on in the world if I hate you, if I scapegoat you. Uh, but if I decide to love in the way that the Bible commends love, then I have to sit with sacrifice. I have to sit with vulnerability. That love might not be requited. Uh, that invitation to love as God loves pulls out of me square footage that I didn't even know I had in my heart. And, and that, is, that, that is the stuff of spiritual maturity. Uh, that is the stuff of growth. And it's just so much easier to not do any of that. It's so much easier to hate. It's so much easier, so, you know, so very easy to just stay separate uh, and superior and in my little enclave of, uh, of I'm precious and the world sucks, uh, you know, to put it colloquially. 
And so when you do that and you enculturate those ideas, you make them the cultural norm and you don't interrogate those ideas, then, then hate puts a business suit on and becomes so respectable, right? We, we give ourselves reasons to exclude others rather than to find solutions uh, that respect the dignity of everybody and that include everybody. And we give ourselves arguments like um, this is sustainable if we take care of this group or if we uh, reward this group, uh, then, then, then that group will provide automatically for the other group. But again and again, economically, politically and otherwise, we see that that's not the case. Uh, so, so it's about scarcity. It's about deep-seated insecurity. Uh, it's about the fear uh, of uh, of being walked on, of being trampled on, it's it's we feel better when we're armed to the teeth, and so Jesus is really radical. He he says there's just another way. In fact, Paul will later call it a more excellent way. And so so what Jesus invites us to do with enemy, pray for them, bless them that curse you, love them, is really the stuff of global change. Hmm. Well, I have a really big question for you when we're back after this short break. What questions are on your heart this season of Lent? Bishop Wright is embarking on a new series, Five Lenten Questions, to respond to questions asked by our listeners. These questions are centered on the themes of self-examination, when God is silent, building beloved community, bearing witness to truth, and towards joy. Each Wednesday of Lent, there will be a new video and a reflection guide for use on your own or in a group. You can join us by following Bishop Wright on Instagram and Facebook. Welcome back to Four People. Bishop, I'm struck by some of the original questions folks have around this theme of love and hate. Things like, how do I love someone who is hateful, divisive, and votes differently than me? And I wonder similar things like, how do I love someone who can read the Bible in such a shallow way without applying historical, literary, and anthropological context? And then I realized that we're all afraid of something. So my big question I'm wrestling with right now is how do we become less afraid? Yeah. Yeah. That's an excellent question because I think that's the journey to growth, right? That's the journey to growth. Um, you know, and this is why in the season of Lent, uh, you know, the church commends self-examination. Uh, it, it, it commends that you and I become more self-aware because when, when we do that, um, we're healing ourselves, And when we are healing ourselves, we're in fact healing the world and our family and our marriage and how we relate to our children and coworkers. And so, you know, and that's a very personal answer. What am I afraid of? Sometimes it comes out of our family of origin stuff. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, but I think that's a question that, you know, uh, grownups are, are going to have to ask themselves. Now, the good news in that is, is that when we, when we get that answer, even if we get a, a partial answer, the good news of that is, is that God is more than anything we find. Right. And so in God's love and in God's direction and in God's vision for our lives is enough, right, to soothe and to salve and to heal all those things that we sort of begin the conversation with ourselves uh, understanding. And so that's really the good news. The good news is, is that whatever lack, deep seated lack I have, 
uh, within myself, whatever I'm terribly afraid of, mm. in God there's enough. Well, that right? requires a lot of trust. Well, that's why they call it faith, right? They don't call it a contract. They call it faith. And I think this is why, you know, God is a genius. God realized that God had to find something, right, that would invite us uh, uh, over and through things uh, until we ourselves became healed. And that's why I think faith is a genius enterprise, right? It is is the medicine we don't want to take for ourselves, right? Uh, but it is the medicine that heals. When I was a little kid, my mother used to give us cod liver oil and some other kind of concoction at the beginning of every school year, right? And, and maybe uh, others have similar stories. And, and the medicine was, oh, my God, it was awful going down. But, you know, it was, it was the right medicine for us, at least in her sort of uh, her life and her home remedy sort of mind. That was the, exactly the right thing. I think faith is like that. I think, you know, nothing is going to bring out of because, look, uh, some of this hatred is beyond logic. The fears are beyond logic. So, so, so logic is only going to take you, you know, three bus stops into the entire route, right? And so what else, right? We are emotional creatures. We are spiritual creatures. So even if I check the logic box, I'm not all the way home yet, right? And so this is why I think that God is a genius, right? That it's about faith, that it's about spiritual growth. It's about uh, emotional clarity, about who I am and where I've been. And, and by the way, in this God's economy, no condemnation. That's the best part, only invitation. That, that's the best part of this. And so uh, whatever you find when you rummage around in your own soul, whatever fear, whatever bias, whatever prejudice, whatever hatred you find as you rummage around in earnest in your own soul, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul wrote. Right. Only an invitation, which is to say, here's the invitation. God is saying, try me. Jesus is saying, try me. Bring the fear. I mean, I think this is the best part of spiritual depth. When you get to name whatever demon, right, uh, it has sway over you and you get to take that demon to the Lord. Right. Not this sort of in general prayer life. But Lord, I am struggling with this. This is the thing that's got me. And I'm giving it to you. That's a spiritual practice to repeatedly give that to God, to find, search the scriptures for scriptures that help us specifically to search our prayer book in the Episcopal tradition, uh, to name some things, fear of death, fear of loneliness, right? Fear of vulnerability, right? Or the wounds that we bear. I wasn't loved well. I wasn't cared for. I was abused. Whatever those, whatever those terrible and very legitimate wounds are, you can bring that by name to God. And this is how the healing starts. And yes, by the way, Amen. therapy is a part of this. Well, okay. So yeah. a little different line of questioning. When I think of love and hate, I'm reminded of the phrase I've heard, I've heard way too often lately, especially as it relates to identity. And I'm sure you've heard it. I've heard, I'm sure you've heard it said, hate the sin, love the sinner. Yeah. Can you share your thoughts on that phrase? Well, I mean, you can't really use that phrase without, without realizing how it's been applied, right? It's been applied to, um, it's been used to, to, to talk in terms of sexual orientation, I, I suppose, most recently uh, and most publicly to say that, 
yeah, I, you know, I love people, but, you know, because they are uh, gay and lesbian and I'm calling that sin, I'm going to love the person and hate and hate the, uh, and hate the uh, sin. So, I mean, that's how people have used it. My thought about it is why don't you just uh, start with loving the person and we'll let God handle the sin. Right. I, I think that's the best way to do it. I mean, I think this is what Jesus uh, walks around and teaches. I mean, I, I didn't see him making that distinction uh, when he encountered lots of people. I mean, he's inviting people to table. He's inviting people to conversation. He's touching people that otherwise would not be touched because of their uh, their physical status, their healthcare status. And so I, I think that maybe we're getting into Jesus's business and we ought to mind our own business. I think that it's enough to try to love others, right? And so that's, that's sort of where I, I'm at. I have a very practical view uh, on that. I think that the way in which God loves uh, people who are sort of frustrating grace, who are making choices that are not for well-being, that are making choices that injure the community, is, is that God applies patience. God applies truth, kindly rendered, kindly rendered. Right. And so I think this is the way we deal with behaviors, both in ourselves and with others that don't meet the mark. Um, you know, and I think we a dose of humility here. Right. Uh, I think we have got to realize at some point that we are somebody else's unlovable, that our actions and choice choices look to other people uh, like we are unlovable, like we're doing damage to the world and to the community. And so a, a dose of humility as we as we proceed here. I think one of the things that really gets going and really inflames fear and hatred is when we become self-righteous. And so, you know, and self-righteous is what? Is, is the intense need to be right so that you can be superior, right? I mean, you just follow the, follow the bread trail, the breadcrumb trail, right? And so I just want God to be right, right? I think this is where we grow up. If you want to be right more than you want God's word to be right, you haven't grown up yet in, in the spirit, right? What we want is God to be right, right? And the Bible is replete with examples of that, right? Jonah wanted to be right about who gets in and who doesn't get in, and God fixed his clock, didn't he? <laughs> God said, how about I be God, Jonah, and you just do the messenger business and we'll be fine, right? You know, why don't you just stay in your job, you know, your job description, right? So our job is to try to lift up Jesus Christ in the world by word and action, right? And let the Holy Spirit do the rest of the work. And so, uh, and but I think you have to confront the fact that we're all human. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so, yes, sometimes we are seduced to hate. Of course well, we are. I guess the bottom line of that, though, is is the root of judgment. Yeah. You know, who are we to judge? We're judging how people fall short. And, yeah. and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on judgment and love and where judgment and love can coexist or are they not remotely related? Well, I mean, I think that this is the interesting thing about Jesus, right? Right. So, so Jesus is God's ju final judgment, isn't it? I mean, for God so loved the world. Right. I mean, that's a judgment, right, that he gave. Right. That sounds like a conclusion. God being God looked at all of, um, you know, the world in its entirety, how it how it's blemished and scarred and how it falls short. And God's judgment was to extend God's own self in love. Right. That that is a judgment. And so I, I think that I'm most comfortable with that. I, I think that, uh, you know, when I think about 
Um, for instance, I think about Dr. King. You know, Dr. King didn't shame governors. He didn't shame even, uh, you know, uh, local police officials. Uh, he didn't shame them. I mean, he, did, he took another approach because, and he says this in his writing, because he felt like his work was to move enemy to friend. And so just think about that as the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is not that we are all sort of be friendly, but to apply one's soul force and genuine commitment to the spirit of love as Jesus taught it, to move people or at least invite people from the category of enemy into friend. And isn't this what Jesus' enterprise is anyway? Jesus is on a friend-making campaign, you know, all around Galilee, even facing Pontius Pilate. There's no vitriol that comes out of his mouth, even Judas. And so, so I think what we, what, what we have done sometimes in the church is we have poo-pooed the expectation that is clear in the gospel, and that's for all of us to grow up. How does Paul finish his great chapter on love, grow up? Right. And so I think what, what is happening in our culture is, is that we are being enticed, right, to be small. We're just being we're being invited and we're taking the invitation to be small. And that's just the church. <laughs> and so I, I think this is why we've got to we've got to talk. You know, there's a wonderful hymn that says, you know, preach the gospel full and free. The gospel full and free is grow up into the full stature of Christ, right? And so how do we do that? I've got to decenter me. I've got to decenter me. And that's what happens in spiritual maturity. I become, uh, I, I move myself out of the center because there's only one worthy of the center, right? Only one who's really worthy of the center. And that's not about uh, having poor self-esteem. That's not about, you know, being in some sort of mindless, having some sort of mindless religion. That is the sum of what it means to grow up spiritually. Not my will, Jesus said, but thy will be done. Right? When he echoes Mary's words in Gethsemane. She said it first, right? Let your word, you know, let, it be, let it be done according to your word. Right? In other words, I'm centering you, God even though this makes no biological sense. I'm centering you. And then Jesus in Gethsemane with his prayer, you know, this will be suffering and I don't want it. But if this is your will, I center now your will even unto death. And so, you know, thank God you and I have not been asked to go to Calvary, right? But we have been asked to do this with family, with spouses, with colleagues, with coworkers, uh, with the person at the grocery store, with the per- the UPS delivery person, on and on and on and goes, and and, and so that's the that's the invitation and the privilege. Uh, I have to worry less about people disagreeing with me politically, et cetera, and think more about you know, am I radiating the love of Christ? Love it, love it, love it. <laughs> As always. Bishop, I'm grateful for you and listeners, we're grateful for you as well. Thank you so much for tuning in to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. You can keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we'll be back with you next week.